The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. And we're live. It is Monday, December 20th, 2021, 5.04 p.m. It is one of those days where we have minor technical difficulties getting a guest on screen. We have one of our guests who will, is uh, visible here, the great Maggie Caroline. But we do not have the other guest, uh, Mr. Blue Eagle. And yes, for those of you who uh, don't know, that is his real name. Uh, it um, That is uh, Pashtun for Blue Eagle. Um, uh, but we will have him here uh, as soon as um, uh, we uh, can get him uh, audible. Uh, and then we will get started. In the meantime, I want to share with you something that I... I'm very proud of that we uh, released today. Uh, it is the trailer for uh, uh, the new show that we are uh, producing to be released on January 6th. Here is the link to it. Uh, and um, it is uh, all about accountability in the post 1-6 era, which is to say one year since January 6th. And uh, there have been a lot of efforts at accountability. There's been an impeachment. There's been 700 criminal trials. There have been... Um, uh, can we, can we, can we listen to it? Can I share uh, it and listen to it? Yeah. Although um, uh, we... Um, have to be careful in doing that, that, uh, I, I, like, can, can we actually make that happen? Can you, uh... Can you see that? Yeah. So we'll be advised you got a group of about 50. Is that working? Yep. Uh, camping up the hill on the west front, uh, just north of the, the stairs. Uh, they're first in the wall now. This on January 6, 2021, a mob of supporters of President Donald Trump attacked the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C. Their goal was to overturn his defeat in the 2020 presidential election. Lawmakers and staff were evacuated, while rioters assaulted law enforcement officers, vandalized property, and occupied the complex. And there's been a significant escalation in just the last few moments. They have broken through that police line. I am watching as we speak. A protester is sitting there on the Senate floor where normally the... Five people died because of the events of that day. 138 police officers were injured, 
It was the most severe assault on the Capitol building in more than two centuries, and the most forceful attack on the peaceful transition of power in the history of the American presidency. From Lawfare and Goat Rodeo, this is The Aftermath, a new series to explore the government's response to January 6th and the search for accountability. A state legislator from West Virginia, Republican. Okay, I think that we are, I think that we are ready to go uh, with our guest. So, um, Uh, Maggie, uh, do you have audio on our guest? Um, I, I'm going to try one more time to get him on. Okay, because I can't have audio while you try. I'm turning your audio off. Okay. Um, we are. We're working on this, uh, uh, folks. Anyway, um, uh, check out the aftermath, which is on the old feed of the report. Um, and, uh, we are. Uh, we are ready to go, I think, as soon as Maggie nods, um, and, uh, Len Grossman asks the key question, which is how Maggie Feldman Pilch types with those nails. Oh my God, I just asked that. (laughs) Which is, the answer is, nobody really knows this including Maggie, who has never offered a coherent explanation. What? What did I never uh, offer? We're, we're talking about how you type with those nails. Oh. Um, you, uh, it's Literally a subject nobody knows. You've never explained it coherently. I just, because I've never not typed with them. Yeah, it's like people can learn to do anything. Uh, you have somebody to introduce us to, Maggie. I do. And... Um, I've assured them that they should accept the invite and that you, Ben, uh, are taping, are turning off camera. Uh, uh, I will turn off the camera as soon as this person shows up on screen. There may be, he should keep the, a the, thumb over the, a thumb camera. over the thing so that we, know, we don't, good. Okay. All right. Now we should have now, audio from the guest. You. Yes. Blue Eagle, can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Lieu of Fun. Um, Maggie, do you want to introduce uh, uh, Blue Eagle or should we uh, have him introduce himself? Um, I'm going to give a quick introduction on, and just talk a little bit about what we're going to talk about. Um, okay. And Blue Eagle will introduce himself. So, And just to uh, be clear, before we go any further, why are we not showing his face and not revealing his name? Yeah, we are not showing his face or revealing his name or talking about specifically how many people um, are in one country or not, or where specifically he or anybody else is from, or specifics about uh, leaving the country or things that are very specifically going on right now um, because it's not safe. So whether this was on Lua Fun or any electronic 
device, anything that's not face to face and, you know, with people that are, are really, uh, um, trusted is just not safe. Not saying that anybody in this uh, conversation- Yeah, but we're broadcast, this is available to the general public. Public, and the purpose of this conversation is, you know, given that um, effective about 48 hours ago, the United States government has now made it possible um, for private citizens and organizations to privately sponsor families um, and people arriving from Afghanistan. Um, I thought given our experience with resettlement so far, um, that my friend could talk a little bit about what that's like. All right. I'll stop. So, um, I'll hand over to you. <laughs> so Blue Eagle, tell us about yourself. Uh, who are you at whatever level of specificity you're willing to talk about it? And, uh, uh, what is your story about leaving Afghanistan and coming to the United States? Can you hear me now? Yes. yes. Okay. Like uh, Mrs. Uh, Maggie said, uh, we thank you for letting us join you this afternoon. And I think if the Mrs. Miggy go ahead and okay, she has all the information, that'd be great. Okay. Uh, because I. I don't want to, I don't know how far we should go with this and that's why I. Okay. All right. So I'll talk a little bit and you jump in where you want to. Um, we've gotten pretty good at this. We spend a lot of time together. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and I'll put in the chat for those that are interested, um, our web, our website. So the, um, organization has a website, uh, and I'll kind of refer to what we have on there. So um, a friend of mine uh, named Jack, who is a, a pilot in the Navy um, and was deployed to Afghanistan several years ago. Um, and uh, Blue Eagle is one of quite a few other pilots in the Afghan Air Force that um, Jack trained with um, and fought with during his deployment and has, of course, kept in touch with. Um, and so when things took a turn for the worst in Afghanistan, um, we were like, hey, maybe we should, you know, try and not let uh, terrible things happen to our friends. Um, and we started working on uh, the process of evacuation. Um, and I will talk a little bit about what it was like on our side. Um, and I will defer to my friend to talk kind of generally about what the experience of moving um, a bunch of people <laughs> through a war zone is simultaneously. Um, so we worked, it, it took a lot of tries. We started um, in early August and um, our friends made it out of the country off the, the lily pads um, to the United States by Labor Day. Um, so it took about a month and we used exclusively military aircraft. Um, so that meant we, we did not charter any planes. Um, and in addition, of course, to all being uh, in the military, in the Afghan military, because they had worked and trained with 
the American forces, um, they have American personnel files. Um, so that certainly helps, you know, in the verification process. Um, and in case people have questions about uh, what that's like, I can answer those. Um, and we moved uh, everybody organized in chalks, which is another way of saying small groups. Um, and they were mixed groups, meaning that it included pilots and family members. So um, as we talk about the resettlement process and what this experience has been like, please keep in mind, it's not just my one friend who's uh, joining us today, which I'm so grateful for, um, but it's families. And that means people of all different ages and experiences and abilities. Um, so we have people's parents. We've had, I think, 11 babies. That is something, that is a specific number I will share. We've had 11. 11 babies mm -hmm. born yes. here? Or? Yes, um, we have quite a few pregnancies right now. We have lots and lots of children ranging in age from everywhere you can imagine. So, so what? We're not going to talk specific numbers, but are we talking, uh, if you have 11 babies, you're talking about more than dozens. We're talking about several we talking hundred. hundreds or thousands. We're so specifically, yes, overall, we worked with thousands of people during the evacuation, but this Operation Eagle group that I am at this point almost exclusively focused on is, is a few hundred. And it's a few hundred people, all of whom are either pilots or fam Black Hawk pilots or yes. families of pilots who are trained by your friend Jack. Yes. And I'm and, hoping... And am I being... And you've shared the... Um, uh, you've shared the um, uh, website of the Operation yes, Eagle Foundation. Yes, and on there, so you can... So you, and, yes. and, Jack's name is on there yes. and is identified by the full yes. the full name. Um, is there a reason why I shouldn't read that name? No, 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 no. It's it, some of it. To be honest, it's mostly just habit at this point. Okay, so yeah. it's so the the Jack in question is uh, John McCain the fourth, right? Yes. The son of the yes. se of Senator McCain. Yes. Um, and so this is a group of people that uh, uh, John McCain, the fourth, AKA Jack McCain trained and their families, sometimes reasonably extended families. Is that a fair? That is, yeah. And I'm and hoping it, that, that Blue Eagle can talk a little bit about why, you know, there are lots of people in Afghanistan that need help. Um, and aside from, of course, like this professional and personal, very close personal relationship, um, there is a strategic importance to the pilots, pilots of any kind, but especially Blackhawk pilots. Um, and so I will defer to my friend to talk about like, why is it that pilots are uh, so important? All right. So that's a great setup. Uh, so Blue Eagle, tell us about how you got out. Uh, with your family and about why this, what binds together this group of pilots? Okay, like, like the Jack, we were uh, deploying the same, and we trained by him on the Black Hawk. It was uh, like a couple of years. I was about after 2018, 
And when the things happen and everything's good or worse and back in my country, and we talk with the Jack and I told him, and this is the group of the people and they are in high risk, the Taliban will not forgive them and they will hunt everyone down if you not evacuate this group of the people. Basically for the Blackhawk who are all trained by the US forces and they qualify and most of them train the US and they are additional training back in my country. And after that a conversation happened, there was a group of the peoples and the friends in here in the United States and they tried to work on it and to chart out their military aircraft to get everyone out with the families. The reason we are a big group because we are all Blackhawk pilots and we know we are a teams and the Jack and we know each other and the others advisors and the uniforms who work and the Blackhawks. And we trying to reach everyone to bring them involved and help us. And there was a, the only reason we get a big group of the people out on that uh, serious situation because we can have help of uh, the friends and the Jack and the coordinate that happened. And we got out from the Kabul a few days on Qatar, then we arrived in the United States. And and how did, like, what happened to, uh, you know, were, were all of you evacuated or are some still there? Some still is there, um, but uh, some numbers are still there, um, but the, the pilots who trained and who was the, uh, the mission qualify and they already uh, get out. And right so um, help, help me out here. Uh, you guys, were you all based in Kabul or, um, or were you all over the country? We were all around the country. We were in the Kandahar, Mez, Kabul, and we were flying all around the country. And so are you now all in the same place in the United States or are you spread out here? Yeah, most of us are the same place here. And how has it been? Has it been welcoming? Has it been, uh, uh, you know, have people, have people here been, been good to you? Uh, what what has been the the reaction to a large group of, of Afghan Blackhawk pilots and their families, uh, <laughs> all, all showing up at the same time? Uh, there was a. A group of great people also here uh, who are helping us and no they welcome us very warmly and they it was unbelievable for us and how uh, warm they welcome us here so what are you comfortable telling us about where you are or i mean general region specific how 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 tell us what you can about where this group of, of pilots has been settled. We are and uh, yeah. No, go ahead, Blue Eagle, it's fine. You add, this is on the website, so you can go ahead. Yeah, we are right now in AZ. Yeah. In, in Arizona. Arizona. Very nice weather, like back <laughs> in Kandahar. And no snows, no rains, and that's nice. Yeah, we are in Arizona. And, um, and 
what has been um and like where do they have you living are you are you in on a military base in a in a hotel in housing what has been done for you uh uh for for you know for housing uh we living in a hotel now and, and we're getting we're in the process of um one of the reasons that i'm back in arizona right now is that um they've been in the hotel for a long time and housing has been very difficult um for a few different reasons um one there's of course a housing shortage it, like there is in most metropolitan areas two uh, with covid that adds to the housing shortage three because of when the group arrived they were here fairly early um, they are, of course, again, all here 100% legally on military aircraft. Um, they, are, they have legal status, but because the federal government was, frankly, just so wildly underprepared, uh, there is a, a months-long, many months-long delay in receiving important things like social security numbers. And, of course, without a social security number, you cannot work in the United States or open um, a... Um, or open a bank account. And of course, those are two things that you need uh, to rent an apartment um, or live someplace. And on top of that, there's very little money, money um, given, made available to people who are arriving. Um, and so everything is funded um, through in-kind or financial donations that we've been able to pull together. Um, but I'm very excited that uh, we've found a, a great development company um, that works with lots of different kinds of people that for whatever reason beyond their control are not a quote strong candidate for a traditional rental uh, application. Um, and, and so we found housing for everybody. And that's one of the reasons I'm here now is to sign that paperwork. And we are now um, raising money and looking for sponsors to help us cover um, rent uh, for families as we continue to wait for social security numbers so they can start their new jobs. So, um, sorry, go ahead, Kate. Oh, so I just had a quick question. Um, Blue Eagle, I don't, um, I'm very curious is there anything that has particularly surprised you about Arizona or the, your time in the United States? Or in particular, have you? is there anything that lived up to what you were expecting and anything that has been a surprise, good or bad? Um, you know, nothing bad surprised me more than I did <laughs> in country. Yeah. That was the bad thing to surprise me that if my country in non-planning would be out in. Good uh, things uh, to surprise me here. The Arizona, the same place that I was applying for 10 years. And that's the same. That's the weather is the same. And that's only the, the culture and the people are different. And we're trying to use, trying to use to with this, the new life here. Had you spent time in the United States before? No, I haven't seen uh, United States before. So this is like one day you guys flew out of Afghanistan and ended up in Arizona. And this was the first time 
you and your family had ever seen the United States. Yes, correct. And are you homesick? Homesick? Like, do you miss home? Uh, everyone's, if you, any, uh, like if, if the bears and like everything, every human have, have, they uh, love their homes. And it's, we are not, if it, it'd be not your choice to leave your home, if somebody forced you to you leave and you will miss your home. Yeah. Of course you will miss your home. So uh, to the audience, if you want to get in on the conversation, if you have a question uh, either for Blue Eagle or for Maggie, uh, this is a good time to uh, uh, flag it in the ask a question box. We'll be going to questions shortly. Um, I Before we do, um, uh, I have a few other questions. Um, uh, what are... Uh, I, I assume the short-term plan is to get everybody housing, but Blue Eagle, what are what are your longer-term plans? Once there's more permanent housing, uh, are you, are you guys looking for work? Is there what's the what what's the next stage of your resettlement, and and will you stay in Arizona? And are you yeah. planning on working as a pilot? Or are you looking yeah. for, for work in other ways? And for first question, we will stay as in Arizona and uh, maybe for a long time. <laughs> but for <laughs> for the, we were still looking for the pilot jobs and we most of our interested to join the, and the US Armed Force. And uh, we know we have a long process, but we hope to be one day we should step on the US Armed Force. And, and what did your uh, military did for us to save our life and we want to be good people for this country. And, you know, that's a, an extremely generous way to describe the way the United States behaved toward Afghanistan over the last six months. Um, I'm curious what your, 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 your feelings on it must be at least a little bit more complicated than that. On the one hand, yeah, uh, the U.S. military got you guys out. But on the other hand, uh, the Afghan military was depending on the U.S. for its long-term survival, and we kind of walked away. Uh, mm -hmm. What are your feelings toward U.S. policymakers right now? And for, uh, for now, I don't know what the policy they're making, but the previous government and the decision they made it and the Doha argument, there was there was the wrong direction they pushed it and finally the Afghan government fall. Yeah. Can I add one thing, Ben? Just because Please. I think um so something that uh, I think our group and when I say our group, I mean all of Operation Eagle. So those of us that were born in the United States and those of us that were not. Um, something that has been, so I'll, I'll speak for myself, but um, something that has been quite difficult for me and for uh, people born in the US um, and some of my other friends, I think, is this idea that Americans owe 
those arriving right now support because it is the United States quote fault for arriving forever going to Afghanistan that going to Afghanistan was a mistake and for me personally and I don't and I don't want to put Blue Eagle on the spot so if he wants to say something about this he can but these are my views um that hearing that makes me incredibly angry because as Blue Eagle mentioned um anybody who leaves their home against their own will is going to miss it the mistake the United States made was not fighting the Taliban the mistake the United States made was leaving. Oh, and that's what I meant. No, I know that. I know that's what you <laughs> meant. I'm watching, but I'm saying other people, uh, it's something that that when I talk to people, you know, because part of what I'm doing is, is going around and trying to talk to people to say like, hey, we have this incredible group of people who are, many of the men are pilots, but uh, many of the women are lawyers and dentists and teachers, right? and people who need jobs, people who want to go to school, people who are looking for friends. Um, and something that I've heard from some groups of people that I've talked to about, you know, volunteering and stuff is like, oh, it's, they have it really backwards. And I just, it really bothers me. All right. Um, one person who doesn't have it backwards is Richard Wattenbarger. And uh, sir, the floor is yours. Um, hello. I um, I'm curious uh, what proportion of, uh, um, of the Afghans that are here um, speak English and are there efforts underway to organize um, English classes uh, for them, or lessons or whatever you're doing? Yeah, so Blue Eagle, of, of, the, of the group of hundreds uh, that in Arizona, that's part of Operation Eagle, how many of I mean your English is very good. How many, how many of the groups speak good English? Thank you. I'm trying to learn English. Still, we all have a class in we learning the English. <laughs> That's my third language, and still I'm learning. And the most of the pilots here, I think, about seventy percent people they talk English good, and they train on the English, and they will fly to school on English, and they're good on, on English. They can solve the problems with talking and understanding what you're saying. And what about the families? Yeah, some of the families uh, view a few numbers and they know the English, but most of the families, uh, the teenagers, uh, and they're basically for the old uh, people here and the members, uh, they have problem with the English. They don't know the English. They mm -hmm. have some classes here. They, they learn. And, and and have there been classes set up for them or is that or is language training something that really needs to happen? They have some classes here. This uh, uh, teach by the volunteers and the, the people participates and they're learning everything. My kids learning the English every day. They learn a lot of words. And <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> All right. Uh, Christopher Argerus, the floor is yours. Uh, hello, Blue Eagle. Thank you for your service to your country and welcome to America. Um, my question is, um, now that the US and NATO is out of Afghanistan, what is your message? How can we support, what, what can American people do 
given the Taliban government to support the Afghan people um, in Afghanistan and also to support um, Afghan refugees around the world? Thank you. That's a good question. I, the one thing we want that the U.S. government to never recognize these tourist governments like a government. They force it, and there was a like uh, somebody mentions because the U.S. forces, Afghan forces rely more, and the U.S. forces when they withdraw out, and there was a lack of the the there were a lot of lack of the logistics, and that's why the government fall. And the one thing we want the U.S. government do not. Help the Taliban governments to it, it show for the world, for the other tourists to say, okay, we should force them shut the government down. They elected by the peoples and to break the tourists on powers, and that would be an example for other tourists on the whole world. And they will raise up and they will say, okay, why we are not fighting to shut to fall this government and we are being in charge of the any government on the world. And that's not only for Afghans, so the governments fall and the tourists come and uh, take the control of the country. If it be an example for other tourists, if you go to Africa and the middle of Asia, this example will be, that will um, bring them more trade on the world and it will force the, uh, for other countries like India and others around Afghanistan. And in the long term, they will trade in the United States and allies in the Europe as well. If they if all the government, they say the Taliban are good and, and they recognize them as a government, they will be an example for other tourists to fight and to control the other governments and around the world. But there are, you know, the human rights and, and, and World Aid Program officials are suggesting that a million people could be facing starvation. How should the U.S. and other governments, NATO governments, and other governments think about aid in the context of non-recognition. It's very hard to feed people without some on-the-ground partner to work with. I think there's another ways that they had the people like by the UN, the others, and I know there's very um, limited access uh, the people have right now in the country because of the creates uh, and the monies and things like that. But at the same time, the Taliban need to force by the U.S. government so they should uh, accept the human rights and the education of the girls and the kids. They should let them go to school. And that's not only food that the Afghan people need it right now. They, they need to go to this. The girls need to go to school. The kids and the people need uh, the free to a speech and people talk and they come in the middle of the night they're pulling the people out and kill them and that's not the afghan people right now they don't need only food now to give them the food to they survive there is more threat and in the long term to protect the afghan people ben you're muted Sorry, here I, uh, Itamar Levior, the floor is yours. Uh, so, uh, hi, Blue Eagle. Thank you very much for uh, joining us today. I want to know uh, how uh, are your kids, what are your kids up to? How are they dealing with the move? Are they currently going to school? Are they making new friends? 
they're making the new friends. They are the age of three and two years. And they are not going to school yet. And they are not the age of going to school. The others, family members uh, who are the age of going to school, but they are looking for the process, process to get them to the school. And I hope it can happen soon. So uh, I have a question for Maggie. How did you get involved with this? I made the terrible mistake of going to Georgetown Security Studies program and becoming friends with Jack in graduate school. Um, and okay, I was, but but a lot of people are friends. Yeah, a lot with of Jack people McCain, can so the first thing I, a, lo a lot of people are friends with Jack McCain without having spent the last six months uh, uh, resettling uh, refugees in Arizona. Uh, there's okay. a uh, you know, how did this become a big part of your life? That's a good question. Um, so I was, uh, on, on August 14th, I was on an airplane, a one hour airplane ride from Boston to Washington, DC as, um, you know, the reports of the kind of formal fall of government, um, came out and, I do something I almost never do, which is bought the internet on an airplane. Um, Cause I think it's wildly overpriced and how safe is it really? Um, and I bought it so that I could text Jack and be like, Hey, how are you doing? Because to say that Jack's service and time in Afghanistan is a significant part of who he is and really important to him would be a wild understatement. Um, it's like 90% of his personality in the best way. Um, I also have a parent who who served in Afghanistan um, a few times, many times before I was born. Um, and I have a brother, a little brother who's a Marine. Um, and, you know, I'm a person in the world with eyes and ears and the ability to read and think. And so um, I messaged him and he was like, it's not good. I was like, I agree, it's not good. We should maybe try to do something. Um, and he's like, I agree, but what does a person do? Um, and I was like, I'm, I, you know, I'm not really sure, but I know somebody who does crisis response and kidnap and hostage rescue professionally. So we could ask him. So we made a group chat um, and he, and really not knowing what was going to happen. Um, and this is what happened. Um, I think to me, there's two, aside from the fact that like, these are people that I of course care a lot about um, and people that my friend really cares a lot about, um, that matters. The, the two other kind of big motivators for me, one is very policy and one is very personal. And I saw somebody in the chat mention that, you know, Pakistan and China and Russia uh, could, um, you know, provide aid if they were so inclined. And I will, you know, circle back to that and allow Blue Eagle to comment. But the United States version of helping and Pakistan or China's or Russia's version of helping are very different. Um, and so I'm not interested in waiting for China to do what I believe the United States government should be doing. Um, so there's that. The other piece that is very personal to me is that 
I spend more time than I'd like to admit thinking about what my life and my family's life would be like if they hadn't left where they were from somewhat successfully and in many cases wildly unsuccessfully in the 1930s and 40s. Um, and I, you know, look at the United States active decision to not engage in World War II and to not offer safe refuge to people who needed it um, as one of the greatest sins of our country. Um, and I don't know that there are many times in your life where the universe provides you the opportunity to help someone really directly. Um, and I would not be able to live with myself if, you know, you, you can't, there's not a choice here, do or do not. So That's that it. was six months ago? Yeah, it's been a little while. All right, so Blue Eagle, question from Francine. Uh, have you been in contact with family and friends uh, you left behind in Afghanistan and how are they doing under the, the new regime? Yeah, I have contacts and with my families, my friends back in Afghanistan. They have a hard time in, with the new regimes and the, the terrorist regimes. And they forced the people who worked with the previous governments and who was in the uniforms, they're looking for them. And they kill a lot of them, they continuously kill them and it's continuing. We have in contact with the friends, with the families, yes. And are people still trying, are people trying to leave or are the family and friends that you have there uh, mostly committed to staying? Some of them are uh, trying to leave. They are, they are looking for a way to how can they leave. Uh, some of them, uh, they want to stay there and they're looking for how can hide from the Taliban at the same time defeating their family. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so we have time for a few more questions. If people have more questions, um, Kate, are you, uh, do you have additional stuff? Yeah, um, I guess I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, I don't know what your life was like leading up to, your life was like leading up to um, kind of your evacuation um, and how much fear you were in before you were evacuated and left. Um, have you, are you less afraid? Like, are you feeling like, are you get, are you sleeping? Are you like able to like relax and feel safe? Um, or is it still kind of a process of adjusting to a new place and from everything that you went through over the past couple of months and years? The thing is not worse as it was two months ago. Still my mind is processing and the new things, but yeah, I mean, we are not sleeping well as we were doing um, before. And everyone was unplanned trips and on that risky situation we evacuate. And still we have some, like, cannot sleep well and the things we remember from what happened and help everyone here, of course. And how, what can you tell us about um, 
you know, you guys were the an incredibly valuable asset uh, to the Afghan government. I mean, people who are trained to fly Black Hawk helicopters, but there are also the helicopters themselves. Um, and I'm I I'm curious what steps you may have taken to prevent Black Hawk helicopters from falling into the hands of the Taliban? I think the Taliban, they don't have the, the Black Hawk to fly the aircraft and not flyables. And the flyable aircraft, some of them move to the Uzbekistan, they fly out of the countries on the 15th August. And some uh, helicopter left behind do not fly among. Just only a few of them, they still have the, uh, the maintenance issues, but the Taliban forced some of the pilots to fly that. They just, uh, they're doing some shows, the air shows and the show on the TVs and they are using blackout. And they are not used, they will not be usable in two or three months later. So how many, how many Blackhawks were there before the the change of regime and how many usable ones are there now? You can say approximately, Blue Eagle. Yeah, like, was, we don't uh, need the ex That was approximately more than 30. Um, but because of the BDA and a lot of the maintenance issue we have done back six months before the government fall, there was only uh, eight of them fly world, but so a few of them they fly to out of the country. More more than four of them fly out of the country. Also, a few of them they stay on the country, but they have the maintenance issues. They don't have it, and they force the pilots to fly in the, the bad aircraft and just take off and landing. So you don't you realistically the Taliban will not have usable Blackhawks or Blackhawk pilots. Uh, after a month or two from now? If it depends, if they if they get the help from the other country, like the China and the Pakistan or the other country to help them to fix or do the exchange, the parts for the fixing the Blackhawk, uh, they will be useful for the Taliban. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're right, looking this is for not a way right now. I'm sorry. You're looking right now. The Taliban looking uh, because they have the like dozen of the helicopters. If the one is broke, they can use the part from that one to put in the other one to fix it. They're looking for the to get the help from the China or for Russia or the Pakistan, the other countries, and they're interested to help them. You know, I see. So, a uh, question from Greg: uh, How did you become a pilot? Uh, and and did and do you miss flying now? I think everyone has a something secret on hers to be a pilot. And I started flying back in 2010. And after I graduated, and my father was and have a previous uh, military background, so I joined the, the Afghan Air Force and became a pilot. I flew a lot of different aircraft. The Black Hawk was my last aircraft. I was blown. I flew the Russian and the U.S. boat airframe. All right, Richard. 
You have another question. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious. I, I know this is traumatic for um, for all of, all of you. And I'm wondering, are there um, mental efforts underway to provide mental health services, counseling for the, uh, for the refugees? And are you able to find people who are uh, actually specialize in uh, dealing with, um, with counseling people who have uh, been through this sort of um, trauma? So, I Blue Eagle. I'll answer a little. I'll I'll, I'll answer a little bit about this just because it's a programming thing. Um, there are efforts underway. Um, we are incredibly fortunate um, and deeply grateful to Cigna and Evernorth, um, who uh, have really incredibly stepped up to ensure. Um, healthcare services, not just for our group, but so generously to all arrivals in the state. Um, a, a special shout out to Michelle Berg and Tim Wentworth for, for really making that possible. Um, and they are working with us um, to finalize a, another partnership um, for mental health care services. Um, I will say that one of the challenges in this particular situation is that um, it's been many decades, you know, since while while people arrive to the United States from other places every day, something that Blue Eagle mentioned and that is so important to remember and so very different about kind of the quote typical new arrivals um, is that this was an unplanned journey. And this was an unplanned journey um, by people who would much prefer, in most cases, to be back where they were. And dare I say, quite bluntly, beating the ever-loving shit out of the Taliban. Um, so there are not a ton of people that have been through even something remotely similar, right? Leaving... Um, a, mil a war zone, unplanned, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's not, there there are not people that specialize in this, but there is, you know, uh, trauma-informed care, absolutely. Um, and I will say that broadly, refugee resettlement agencies are wildly unprepared. They've never seen anything like this and they don't know what they're doing and there are really negative implications of that. And we are so grateful to our partners for helping us fill the gaps. Can I ask a question really quickly? Um, I think that's great. Um, and I think all of that is wonderful. I had a more direct follow-up before the mental health question, which is just um, how important are Black Hawk helicopters in the range of things that they might have, that might have been left behind? Like, as in, are these going to become like one of the things that like, our intelligence officers will devote resources to tracking Black Hawk parts around the globe that are being traded by Pakistan and China, like now that they already are, um, but like- I don't yeah. know that we're in a position to totally know that but, right? or go there. I just was, no, I was just trying to know like- They're super, let's say they're super important. Like, yeah. A Black Hawk like, helicopter is a big deal weapon system and 
having it, an operational Black Hawk in the hands of uh, uh, an enemy force is a very bad thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's. I think the good question not, for context. It's not like having an aircraft carrier in the hands of an enemy. No, force, no, I, but it's or a nuclear it's a, weapon. It's, like, I, I it's a major. Yeah, where is it in the scale? Good it's question. It's a major, was... major league weapon system. Great, thank you. Yes, good question. Yeah. yeah, the question you're asking about the China giving the ports. We know that the China they don't have the port of the Black Hawk, but they can do the exchange the port. Like, if they have thirty, if, if for example, if they have thirty aircraft broke, they can make it. 10 flyables so exchanging the port. If the one aircraft broke one part, we can, we can exchange it to get the bad aircraft, bring it to fix one air, the other aircraft. This is uh, the way uh, if the Taliban oh, help by so the they, other. Yeah. So basically, there'll be like a bartering basically to get a part of other types of helicopters back to China or things like that, like to try to kind of trade and like get the parts in. No, I think I think what he's saying is if you have 30 helicopters and you have Chinese expertise, you can make 10 of them operational. And yes, correct. And that's okay. the and that's the um, and, you know, China, if it wants to devote energy to uh, studying Black Hawk helicopters and replicating parts, it can, you know, it can spend some time on that, too. But in the short term, it definitely has the technological capability to service one by scrapping another. I just didn't know how, I guess my question, Blue Eagle, is like how interchangeable uh, Black Hawk helicopter parts are with other helicopters. Um, That's not uh, changeable with, the, with other helicopters. Um, the bad thing happened, the evacuation happened so quickly some of the things left behind that's very useful like some of the the document for the black hawk and how can do the exchange the part like one helicopter one part is not working and that's not flyable anymore they can use part of this aircraft to make the other aircraft flyable that's yeah. the thing that's that's why i mentioned that all right christopher you get the penultimate question today all right. Hello again, Blue Eagle. Um, so my question, um, it could be personal. It, it could be sort of your fr friends and family, what you thought. But um, what was the expectation about um, how long the U.S. Uh, or NATO would stay in Afghanistan? Um, was this different between you who were working directly with the military and, and your friends and family who that we didn't have any connection to the military. And did you expect uh, when uh, the withdrawal started that uh, yeah. at least Bagram Air Base would be um, maintained after the withdrawal of uh, US and NATO forces? That's a good question. The first thing, and we are not expecting the US forces and fight along us, alongside with us, like. 20 more years but we're expecting the u.s to help like uh, the afghans forces to uh, to fight against the, the group of the tourists the taliban the isis the others all the the tourist group in back in my country but the the afghan government fall by the lack of the morale not by lack of the money logistic thing when the u.s make a deal uh with the taliban in doha 
like they're saying a lot of things okay we will uh if the afghan governments not make a deal with the taliban and we will withdraw and when they shut down the background airfield it was a good um a clear signal for the afghan government the us are um, leaving but still the afghan government rely on the the coalition forces they will get a help uh, to survive and by the time the taliban uh, realized the us is gone all assets are gone there were no been no more air strike and no uh, night operations they said there's a good time to invade the other troops from the pakistan border the other side they all they comes and they start attacking the big cities like the big compounds they started the, taking the provinces they took one provinces the big uh, compound they took their weapons and they distribute for the others and they invite more people and that's why they big, make bigger and bigger and when the one or two provinces fall the morale of the government was goes very down and i remember how the morale was down because of uh not political uh solution for this war and for the logistical side also the afghan uh, forces the they have some lack of uh, the logistic um, material as well and after they uh, make a deal with the with the taliban in doha they were limited uh the resupply for the afghan forces there was another reasons and the afghan government fall we don't we are not expecting the us uh forces fight alongside with us and you know we fight alongside with the us forces for the 20 years if you go and read on the google search how many afghans armed forces killed in 20 years is more than 67000 officially confirmed and the, if the us give a money the afghan give a life fight against the tourists but in some parts they fail um, to provide much political support and logistical support as the afghan government needed and the, when they are not providing that the morale come down in the afghan government fall okay last question uh from patricia and patricia i'm sorry my efforts to bring you on screen have failed um but i will read the question Are there enough personnel helping to process uh refugee for the refugees social security numbers and other needs uh do, is the process working effectively or too slowly and are too many people crowded into a large space uh who's uh who's feeding uh people so Maggie this may be better directed at you but how yeah. is to both of you for your thoughts how is the process working and who's taking responsibility for it and uh for operation eagle or for all overall no more generally i mean to the extent sure. you have visibility on it through yeah. operation eagle like you know how is the re us refugee resettlement process working here terribly if i picked one word it'd be terrible and i i despite my uh you know highly emotional way of communicating i this is uh this whole experience has been quite difficult because as somebody who has a lot of respect and love and admiration for the united states government and our institutions 
I've watched it fail in so many ways. Um, and uh, I love institutions and there they are not doing the thing. Um, nobody really knows who's in charge. And the best way I could summarize it is that, you know, recently, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, uh, this whole idea of private citizens and organizations sponsoring refugee families, which in theory is wonderful and warm and, and we should be doing that on an individual yeah, basis. Yeah, but it also shouldn't be necessary. It shouldn't be necessary. It's happening because our government has failed. Our institutions have failed. Um, we have Operation Eagle has the means and the motivation to get everybody that we need that is in the United States here. We have the means and motivation to get the people that are not in the United States here. And yet we can't get people off military bases. And I, and uh, it is because they're waiting for their, literally physically waiting for their turn in line. I've been to some of the bases to try and pick our friends up and said like, I will pay for their flight. Like, I don't know. Um, there are, I would say that the Operation Eagle group is in a particular kind of predicament because they arrived early. Um, they arrived before the Expo Center was set up at Dulles. How do I know this? Because I live primarily in Washington, D.C. and as Ben knows and Blue Eagle knows, um, we were basically all living together <laughs> for a while. Um, and so we had the experience of, quite frankly, being first. Um, and so I have learned so much about, and, and so has Blue Eagle and all of us alongside each other, learned so much about um, the, the immigration process because we've been here, quote, the longest, we've been here first. Uh, we were the first group to get state IDs. And that was mostly because we were like, well, why can't we? Um, and there have been you know a number of people and or specific offices that have done incredible work along the way um senator mark kelly's office his immigration team in particular both in the district notice the arizona theme here guys yeah well i'm not sure that i would extend that grace to all parts of arizona but 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 mark kelly no, but there's yeah. certain certain uh yeah certain Arizona families uh, are outperforming. Absolutely. And I will absolutely mention that in just a moment. Um, so Mark Kelly's- You're gonna have to wrap quickly. Okay, though, his immigration go. team deserves more credit than they're getting. And I will say that Ambassador Cindy McCain, who is now the US ambassador to the UN Food and Agriculture Program, watch the fuck out, China. This woman can, can build we... a refugee camp in 30 seconds. So tell me, uh, tell me something and just say you can't answer if you can't answer. Uh, where are you right now? I'm in uh, my friend Jack's house, his mom's house. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, in, in Arizona, uh, uh, joining us today, uh, Maggie from the house of Cindy and Jack McCain, uh, Blue Eagle from an undisclosed hotel location somewhere in Arizona. Uh, thank you both for joining us. If you want to support this effort, uh, the resettlement effort with respect to 
the Blue Eagle families, and others. Uh, I have shared the link uh, before. It does not let me share it twice. Uh, so I'm going to add a period to the end of it. Uh, don't include the period if you click on it, because uh, it may not work. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, these are uh, great future Americans and great Afghans. Uh, and uh, uh, Blue Eagle, it's a pleasure to meet you. And thank you for joining us on the show. Yeah. And thank you for all your service and your help. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. We will be back tomorrow. I am not sure who the guest will be. I'm hoping Do it's going to be Radley Belko to talk about his recent um, one and a half year reporting project that just was published in The Intercept on um, uh, basically a very interesting kind of uh, backlash that happened in a small uh, in a small prison and, and police district. And so we'll talk about that tomorrow. That will be 22 hours and 52 minutes from now. And until then, Maggie? We can't have fun. So. Doesn't we someone else have We can help people resettle in the United States. I mean. Hell I, yeah, we can. We do have right. awesome new Americans to look forward to. Like Blue we Eagle. can. That we, we can still have.